Hi there, and welcome to the Click IQ Academy podcast. The Click IQ Academy is a learning and resources hub for recruiters, shaping the future and featuring insights from the sharpest minds in the industry. I'm Alan Walker, and in this episode, I talk to my friend and colleague Jim Stroud about everything from the dangers of AI in recruitment and why he doesn't wear shoes when presenting, through to New York State's decision to ban marijuana testing of job applicants. Hi, Jim. Hello, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing better than amazing. Thank you. For the for the very small, finite number of people um, who <laughs> don't know who you are, Jim, <laughs> I don't know if you could do a, a quick intro for, to the crew. Sure. My name is Jim Stroud. Most folks call me Jim Stroud. Feel free to do the same. I've been involved in recruiting and sourcing for two decades, which is hard for me to believe. Uh, work for such companies as MCI, Siemens, Microsoft, Google, uh, Randstad, Sourcerite. Uh, presently, I serve at the pleasure of ClickIQ as their VP of Product Evangelist for North America. Best job ever. <laughs> awesome. So 20 years. I'm impressed you could even oh rattle off gosh. all of those names that you've worked for. Uh, I can't believe I've been in the game that long. <laughs> <laughs> you're, still, you're still happy and smiling and laughing. It's incredible. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I, I really, I really enjoy enjoy the uh, the work that I do, especially the, the stuff outside of the nine to five. Which is uh, speaking on what some people may uh, have stumbled across me on is that I also speak at different conferences around the world on the future of work and and um, recruiting uh, related issues, and I also have a uh, YouTube series called the Jim Strauss Show and a podcast called the Jim Stroud Podcast because I can never think of what to call it, so I just throw it in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I hear um I hear shoes don't play a big part in your presentation. Is that right? <laughs> that is true. That is true. When people ask, is that a gimmick? But it's it's true. Like when I go on stage, uh, even though I've done it for like for, for like forever, I always get nervous. It could be two hundred people, it could be two people in the audience. Doesn't matter. I always get nervous. So one way one thing that I do to calm my nerves is that I take off my shoes, which is something I picked up from the movie Die Hard, if you've ever seen that with Bruce Willis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So he took he takes off his shoes and he's he's uh Relax. So I take off my shoes uh, right before I go on stage, and I'm usually in my socks. So in Die Hard, Bruce is nervous. That's why he takes his shoes off, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I've Same never realised. <laughs> <Same thing for me. laughs> yeah. So um, we, I spend most of my time this side of the Atlantic. You spend the majority of your time that side of the Atlantic, but some over here. But we mm-hmm. also, you know, we face some of the similar challenges in terms of what's happening in our world. Um, particularly around politics, but also certainly around things like wages and people making a living. One yep. um, one headline I saw recently, and this might have put a smile on a, a bunch of employees' faces, was that the Bank of America are raising their minimum wage to $20 an hour. What, yes, what does that big mean? News. Big news, big news. Yeah, they raise their rates to uh, $20. Uh, they are expanding. Uh, business is good, I guess. There's money in banking, go figure. And they are... Uh, <laughs> opening up new branches, but they need more people there. And one way to attract them is to boost up that minimum wage. Now, $20 minimum wage, uh, just to put it in context, it's, um, well, let me tell you what some what some states have as a minimum wage, just to put it in context for some of your listeners. Okay, so here in Georgia, where I am born and raised and, and hail from, as of July 1st, 2018, the minimum wage here was $5.15. Wow. Uh, in California, it's... of course, that's a rich state. Uh, Then you have in Texas is $7.25. So 
when someone's offering you $20, that is uh, a real incentive to a lot of people, which I think is going to have some unintended consequences, <laughs> uh, to say the least, among them. Usually when you have jobs that are typically taken uh, as minimum wage paying jobs, mm-hmm. a lot of those jobs tend to go to people who are uh, maybe who are students. So they're in yeah. college or they're just, uh, yeah, just out of college or whatever. And so they usually, students, college students usually get those kind of jobs and it's a stepping stone in their career and so forth. Well, at $20 an hour, you're going to have uh, several more advanced uh, workers, shall we say, maybe in their 30s and, and older, competing for some of those same jobs, even if it's like a secondary job. And so that's going to make it a little bit more difficult for some of the, the younger workers who may need that initial uh, job to, to get the ball mm. rolling in their career. So those that are but, seeing some of the $20 uplift as being purely a positive, actually there are potential downsides because it could squeeze out those younger people with less experience under their belt because people who are perhaps working for another bank who've got five or six years experience under their belt but still only getting $15 an hour will be leaping over to Bank of America for the 20. And um, we all know that hiring managers, rightly or wrongly, always look at that relevant experience piece, don't they, when they're looking at a resume mm-hmm. or a CV. And, mm-hmm. you know, Dave, who's got five years versus Sally, who's got zero, is probably going to leap to the top of any any pile, unfortunately. Yep. Exactly that, exactly that. And it's also going to force uh, the entire banking industry to raise up their their uh, their salary. Uh, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a positive effect on the brand of the company, I think, overall. Because mm. um, they're going to say, wow, they're, they're paying that much money. I really want to work there <laughs> for no other reason. But it's also going to force all the other bankers to raise up their, their pricing, uh, their, pricing <laughs> their salaries as well. <laughs> Just to compete, will- yeah. Yeah, so they're going to have to compete. And that's going to also have an adverse effect, I think, in some ways and some and some some positive. Right. So among the adverse effects, what I think it's going to do is that it's going to limit how much uh, they can hire, because if they're paying suddenly paying twenty dollars an hour to people on the low uh, rung on the ladder, uh, it's going to it's going to it's going to have to mean they raise or increase the the, the salaries of people who are much mm. higher up. So. Uh, they may not be able to afford to hire as many people as they normally would if they were paying people much less than $20 an hour on the bottom part of the ladder. Uh, oh, that makes I, absolute sense, yeah. And I guess they're probably going to make up that shortfall in terms of physical human resource, maybe through through automation in some way, shape, or form. Oh, yeah, most definitely, most definitely. And then I see them, um, if they don't have layoffs, which I imagine they will try to avoid like the plague because they, they just got all this great... Uh, public sentiment from for having a minimum wage paying $20 to their their um, to their workers they don't want to uh, sour that so they're going to have to make up the money somewhere so probably more hidden bank fees mm. may start popping up <laughs> it may uh, may cost you know $7 uh, if you uh, overdraft a check or something i don't know um, They'll find a way to, to make up their costs some kind of way. But I guess in um, the short term, it's going to be um, it's going to be a massive boon for them from a retention perspective because there's going to be a whole heap of people at the the lower end entry level type careers um, within Bank of America who are suddenly going to get an uplift in in their salaries, which will be great from a retention yeah. perspective. Which kind of brings me quite mm-hmm. nicely onto another another headline I I saw this week, and it was around IBM's artificial intelligence being able to predict 
whether or not someone's going to be leave, um, leave their job. Yes, yes, I, and I actually saw that. Um, I'm doing a much um, a much longer um, uh, uh, investigation of that on, on my podcast. But yeah, I was uh, listening to an interview by uh, Jenny Rometty. She is the uh, CEO over at IBM, and she was talking about um, at this HR summit that CNBC put together about their predictive attrition program, which is uh, something they have a patent for. And basically what it is, is it's a magic algorithm, my words, words, (laughs) uh, that predicts predicts an employee flight risk. And so it prescribes actions from managers to engage employees. So if uh, the magic algorithm says, hey, Alan, uh, according to our magic algorithm, Alan is going to be leaving us soon. We don't want to lose him. So why don't we call Alan into the office and offer him uh, a new opportunity within the company, maybe bump up his pay, uh, maybe uh, relocate him to a better office that's closer to his home so his commute isn't that far, isn't that long in traffic, that kind of thing. And uh, Hmm. I thought it was very interesting. They do a lot of interesting things over there uh, at IBM in terms of using magic algorithms. They also have this thing called MyCA, which stands for My Career Advisor. And what it does, from my understanding, is that it looks at uh, the technological advances and where the business is going over the next few years or so. Then it looks at the workforce, and then it says uh, sends out an email or or some sort of equivalent to to you if you're at, as an IBM employee. And it'll say, "Hey, Alan, um, we're looking at your skill set. We're looking at where the company is going. May you may want to develop your skills in A, B, and C because that'll make you more valuable to us." you know, on down the road kind of a deal. So I thought that was amazing. So you're shaping that person's career path for them and helping guide them. And that is amazing. That's that's 100% positive. I can't see any reason why it wouldn't be. But just kind of back to that that predicting levers bit. What what, what do you think the potential risks are there and um, the kind of potential downside from a, both an organizational perspective but for for the individual sat in the seat doing his job or her job? Sure, sure. I, I see a couple of, of maybe unintended consequences that I think are really dangerous. One is people uh, relying too much on the machine and not on their own human judgment, right? So they, uh, Gina Rometty said in an interview, interview that I saw that their machine can predict within 95% accuracy, right? So it pretty much tells me <laughs> they got a lot of faith in this machine, right? But machines can make mistakes. And even if the machine doesn't make mistakes that often, if you become so dependent on that machine to make the decision for you or to spark a certain course of action for you, then you are uh, actually working for the machine rather than the machine working for you, I would think. you know. So it's not that the machine is giving you information to inform your decision. You're saying, well, the machine said this person's leaving, so let me go ahead and do this, this course of action rather than saying the machine said this person's going to leave. Okay, let me go talk and have a conversation with this person and validate the machine's findings and then choose a course of action, which I think would be preferred. So uh, I think there's there's definitely that, that danger. And then there's also a danger of uh, what if the machine gets it wrong, uh, <laughs> at, least if, at least if it's just a 5% part that's wrong, and you decide not to promote someone because the machine said they're going to be leaving soon. Well, you stunted that person's uh, career growth and they aren't rising within the company as quickly as they thought they should be 
or the company just missing out on great talent because we're not promoting them. And that person decides to leave and they start a startup and make a bazillion dollars. So that could have benefited, that could have benefited the company. But worse yet, and I think this is a, a real danger for a lot of um, uh, AI uh, companies or processes, rather, is that what if I'm working for company X and the magic algorithm says I'm leaving and I'm not leaving and then my career just gets stunted and I find out on down the road that the reason why my career has stunted inside this company is because of some magic algorithm and no one actually really talked to me. Do I have the basis of a good discrimination lawsuit? Discrimination by algorithm. The machine discriminated against me because of some factors that I don't know because the company won't share the secret sauce with me about why it chose someone else over me. I can't argue it. I can't debate it. I can't bring new information to light. I can only suffer the consequences that the machine has inflicted upon me. So I am going to sue the company for discrimination based on algorithm or based on machine or whatever the legal term is. I think that's something that could happen. Mm, particularly if there is actually almost no action because of what the machine is saying. Mm-hmm. So as you say, if you decide to overlook somebody and that person sat there thinking, where's my career going? What the hell's happening? How is how is my colleague next to me getting promoted when I know I'm outperforming them? I love the company. In fact, it could be the thing that ends up pushing them out yep. by actually suggesting they're going even when they're not and therefore overlooking them and then they decide they don't want to work there or even actually if if the machine says okay go and talk to dave who um it looks like he's potentially leaving and then you have that chat to dave and dave have no intent <laughs> to leave and <laughs> um, mm-hmm. would you start having that conversation with him that may well start triggering things mm-hmm. and um, he does start looking so yeah it's a really it's a delicate balancing act i guess it's what what's got to be it's got to be looked at is is it better than the, the subjective opinion of a human being? And if it's more accurate than that and leads to the right people progressing in their career, now whether it's through um, the predicting leaving piece or the my CA that you talked about earlier, because of their talent, because of their dedication and because of how much they're throwing themselves into organisation, if it's better than a human being doing that stuff, then I'm all for it. I think it's easy to push back against AI and uh, claim it's dehumanizing stuff. But I keep seeing examples of AI actually making processes more human mm. because it becomes fairer and more level, level, more of a level playing field. It might not be more human in that it's not error prone like a human being is, but in terms of rewarding the right people and supporting the right people in their careers, it can sometimes be way better. True. 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 But I think even that's subjective. I mean, I have, I have seen, uh, or rather, heard of arguments that say AI is is unbiased, and that's why we should use it in interviewing people and that kind of thing. I think mm. I saw some report of this talking head <laughs> that interviewed people. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've seen that, but it's some sort of like a robot head. You sit in front of it and you ask a question. Yes. And, yeah, I saw it in um, Copenhagen, and okay. uh, it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, I was afraid of it. If I'm honest, it freaked me out. <laughs> Not because of its capability, just because I could barely make it meet its eye without it terrifying me. <laughs> it just brought me back to you. Have you seen the film iRobot? Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, it was like iRobot's head, just its head, without the arms and legs and body, and it was just very disturbing. I felt it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, whenever I hear unbiased in terms of AI, I always sort of wince because. I, it always comes down to a human being somewhere, okay? So 
if you say this machine is unbiased, it's totally fair, it will not discriminate against you in any kind of way, it would be totally impassionate and just sort of just gauge you on your skills alone. I always think in the back of my mind, whether I say it or not, because I'm being polite, well, who programmed this machine? Did the mm. person who programmed this machine, did they have any biases? Did they have any prejudices, whether they realize it or not? And if they do, then aren't they the ones that programmed it? So would it be more accurate to say this, this machine is as unbiased as the person who programmed it or persons who programmed it? You know, yeah. it always or the, the data set or the data set it's learning from. It's the, the Amazon example yep. from a few months back where they switched off their um, predictive hiring tool that was um, selecting men all of the time, pretty much, mm -hmm. because its data set of who was successful in Amazon historically were men. Yep. It wasn't being unfair. It was based. It was. It was actually being highly accurate based on what it knew, and it knew that men men moved further in Amazon and got promoted and performed better. But that was because Amazon, the data set was primarily men in there, not because females weren't as good. It was just the data that the um, the, the system had. So yeah, it's it's a, it's it's ground that we need to be ultra careful of, and we've got to be really mindful of the ethics behind. Um, behind AI learning and machines making decisions as much as we have the super cool technology that's doing this stuff. Sure. And I can give you another example along those lines too, because it was totally unintended. Yeah. It was this, uh, this restaurant chain. Um, I think it was Cinnabon, uh, which sells delicious cinnamon rolls, by the way. And they uh, had um, a presence inside of an airport. And so they advertised their jobs different places and they recruited different places, but they tended to recruit people that were near the airport because the commute was short and people who were living near the airport, they tended to stay uh, employees for an extended period of time because it's convenient for them because they live hmm. near the airport. Well, they got hit with some sort of discrimination suit because the people who lived near the airport, airport were in a zip code that was uh, more fluent and there weren't that many minorities there. And so they were, so the argument was, you're not hiring uh, Hispanics or you're not hiring African-Americans uh, en masse for your location because uh, you're discrimination. And they'll say, no, the, the big data machine said that these people uh, tend to stay longer because they happen to live near the airport. Mm. totally unintended uh was not discriminatory in any kind of way but someone made that argument uh because they, they all came down to well it was based on what the machine said totally yeah. unintended but that's the consequence exactly it's said you see you see it in um people hiring for graduate schemes they hire from red brick universities and mm. um they completely all we care about is a red brick university if they've got that we don't care what they look like, what what the background they're from, their gender, their sexual orientation, their color, etc. We don't care, so we're not being discriminatory. But if all the red brick universities are ninety percent white and sixty percent mm. male, and um, and almost eighty percent from reasonably advantaged backgrounds, then you're going to end up with people who are like that, aren't you? So yep. if you you have to look at the the driver that's driving the discrimination. It's not always, and most of the time, it isn't an intentional. But if you're using a certain measure to make a decision about somebody, whether you're doing it or a machine's doing it, um, there's there's a factor involved there where you potentially could be discriminating against in a completely unintended way. So true. So exactly. true. So you mentioned their airports, and um, that 
and maybe maybe remember the final headline that I saw uh, recently from um, your mm. side of the the pond, and, and probably something that might not apply to when hiring pilots. But I see that um, New York have just passed a law saying that employers can no longer screen people for marijuana use. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, which uh, uh, ironically has um, boosted sales at Cinnabon. <laughs> especially in the mid-evening yeah about yeah. 10 o'clock at night <laughs> exactly that i think it is uh i think it says a couple of things i think one they're trying to legalize marijuana uh in new york as they have in colorado and a few other places in the states and i think that because uh they were not able to legalize marijuana uh so far in New York, that this is a step towards that measure. I think that's one of the the reasons behind it. But I also think that it is a testament to uh, how scarce talent is in certain arenas. Okay. You know, I know that in, I happen to think, I think it's in cybersecurity, uh, they are relaxing the marijuana rule because they need more cybersecurity experts. Um, I don't know. If you want you're saying all, you're saying all geeks, all geeks are stoners as well, Jim. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I know, <laughs> I know that's breaking news. <laughs> that is breaking news. I know, but yeah, that is uh, that is interesting. It says, I mean, it's a, it's a there's been a lot of conversation around talent scarcity mm. uh, in the states and worldwide. But when you see measures like this, where companies are saying, you know, we're going to relax drug testing on marijuana because we need to hire people that badly. That is, uh, that is amazing to me. That is truly amazing to me. And again, yeah, for something that most people, certainly medical professionals will say is, is reasonably harmless if, if used in um, some, some sensible measures, so to speak, and that mm. it doesn't directly have an impact on people's performance, then that would seem like a sensible measure. Yeah, that's, that's that's a lot of pros and cons around that because that I think as far as on the con side that that um, makes the supposition that or presupposition that all people are fair minded, level headed, and can make good decisions. And uh, my experience is that's not true. Yeah, yeah true, true. <laughs> so, there may be some people who can um, like drinking. There's some people who can drink responsibly, have a good time, go home, and and all is well with the world. And there are some who take it to uh, a really bad place, yeah. And they have DUIs, and people get hurt, that kind of thing. So um, I think it's irresponsible to a, to an extent to think that everyone can be responsible. I think that have some kind of measures in place. What those measures are, I don't know. But something needs to be in place if you're going to allow that. But I guess by legalizing things, it makes it easier to monitor and manage because um, the government can take more control over it and they can put in place measures where which people are much more willing to to um, go and seek help, maybe, because they know they're not doing something that's illegal, but it's causing a problem for them in the same way that alcoholics can. And uh, do organizations test for alcohol use is out of interest? Uh, no. No. No, it's usually, it's usually drug use. Yeah. The drug use, I guess, because you can smell alcohol on somebody <laughs> <laughs> if they have one before their interview. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But uh, from, from when I was much, much younger and I used to rock up to work when I was 22 after a very, very late night out the previous night, I certainly wasn't mm. performing at my best at nine o'clock in the morning. And I definitely yeah. shouldn't have been put in charge of any heavy heavier machinery. Uh, thankfully, I called the bus <laughs> to work. Um, so I wasn't a danger to anybody as such. But um, you could certainly argue that I, I would have been unsafe if I was operating a forklift truck. Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Thankfully, I was never really good at that kind of thing, and I just stuck to sitting behind a desk talking to people. <laughs> Much easier. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, listen, um, I think that's about time. Great to uh, spend some time oh, wow. with you as ever. Um, we filled nearly 24 minutes of um, of me learning more about the States as much as anything and uh, and how it differs to, to things over here. And as ever, I always find out it's not all that different, just different language and, and different pound and dollar signs most of the time. But it's uh, been great catching up with you again and uh, look forward to doing this again sometime soon. Thank you, Sarah. I do appreciate you. No problem. Take care. And that brings us to the end of this episode. A big thanks to Jim for spending the time to speak to me and a big thanks to you for listening. Everything we've discussed today can be found at academy.clickiq.co.uk and any questions or feedback can be sent to hello at clickiq.co.uk.